Thank you for that. We just saw, I just want to reiterate that. What a great opportunity for us to be together and to share and to be encouraged and challenged uh, next weekend. Um, if you have any questions, please see Julie Weiss. Julie, where are you hiding? Okay, right there. Uh, she'll be glad to answer. There is sign-ups that would be really helpful, great opportunities to come share around a meal and stuff, but if you've ever prepared a meal, it would really be nice to know who's coming. Uh, so there's sign-ups on the board. Also, there'll be resources available, uh, great opportunities to be encouraged by books and uh, different things like that. So um, we just, I strongly encourage you um, to take advantage of this opportunity, you and your family, um, to be together and to learn and grow with our missionaries. So, Well, before we open God's Word, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your presence here. We together affirm and agree you are Lord. You are head of this, your church. We bow in humility and ask you, Holy Spirit, to teach us. Open wide our hearts to receive what you have for us. So that God, in all things, our response would praise you, would please you. And Lord, your church, your people, would be strengthened. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I came across an interesting book. I just saw the, the title of it. Didn't, didn't get the book, but uh, read the inside title. And uh, the premise of the book was, uh, are you dating the church? I thought that was an interesting statement. Are you dating the church? So I got thinking about it. Remember when you dated your wife? Yeah, I mean, you probably think back and all the things you did and what it was like. And, and, but you would have to confess when you got married, it was different because there was a new commitment. When you dated, there was always, I want to say, a back door necessarily, but you dated with the idea that this isn't permanent. Potentially, it might not be. That we're going to kind of get to know each other see where each other's at and different uh, perspectives and different convictions. And, but in the back of your mind when you date, there's always this, this thought, you know, if this doesn't work, if, if, it, if we don't gel, you know, we just, we just don't move forward. But when you get married, you're in a covenant commitment. I mean, backing out isn't even an option. It's like together now, we're in this thing. We're married and we're moving forward together. So there's a difference. And I, I'm, I haven't read the book, but I'm guessing it's kind of where he was going with it. And so marriage, covenant commitment, is a huge difference from dating. And so I want to talk a little bit about that and answer that question this morning. Hopefully you'll answer. Are you dating the church? Or are you in covenant commitment to it? To live in Christ's church to live in a way that pleases him requires necessary commitments. To move forward as a church, to move forward from dating to covenant commitment requires a wholesale commitment to some necessary things. I want to talk about that. That's why I wanted us all together. I, I, like us. I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep this going, but it's kind of nice to be together. And so uh, there's some necessary commitments. The first thing we need to do is grow together. I want to go to Ephesians chapter 2. The whole book of Ephesians, the whole thrust of Ephesians, is really about unity. 
in the context of when the book was written, there was Jews and Gentiles, and they kind of looked at each other and, and said, hey, I don't know, what's this all about? Uh, you got Gentiles coming to Christ. You got Jews coming to Christ. What does this mean for us? Paul writes this letter and says, here's what it means. <laughs> it means you come together in one body. That's what it means. And so we're kind of reading with a main theme in this letter of unity. And so I want to read chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. So then, Paul says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built, there's our word again, together, into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. This great chapter, too, opens with us being dead in our sins, hopeless, but God, who is rich in mercy, saved us. And then Paul begins to build on that a little bit. He said he's made us alive in Christ. He even uses in verse 5 the word together. And through his grace that saves us, which would be so incredible that throughout eternity the church would be exhibit A to all, even the whole heavenly realm of God's grace towards lost sinners. Beautiful chapter. In ch verses 8 through 10, God's grace doesn't end with individual salvation. Paul builds on that and says he's also brought all believers together into one new body, the church, which supersedes, wipes out all the man-made divisions and distinctions. And then in verse 19 through 23, which I just read, Paul calls the church a holy temple. He uses this Old Testament terminology to explain how the church is supposed to function as the expression of God's presence today. In other words, God's joined us together. Together. And what Paul talks about the church is the people of God. We, the church, his people, who he joined together, are Christ's presence on earth. It's the place where the values of eternity are located in time so people can, know how, can see how heaven operates in a sense. And so the church is joined together and we're meant to grow together where his spirit dwells. Now if you go a couple chapters later to chapter 4, Paul's not done building on this theme. We read in verses 14 through 16, he's talked about living a life in such a way that the gospel's seen. He's talked about there being different gifts and God's people being equipped. And then he builds on that and says, verse 14, as a result, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. We're joined together, and when we operate together, the way God designed us to, there's growth, there's maturity. We seek truth together, we grow in the truth together. And that when we grow together, it builds up his church. But there needs to be a necessary commitment to grow together. And that takes humility. 
It takes a, a willingness to say, God, what do you have for me? Not for my neighbor, for me. And it takes a wholesale commitment to grow together. This year, we're going to commit anew as a church to refresh and to strengthen the foundations of our faith as we just sung. Jesus Christ, our sure foundation. The foundations of Bible doctrine. We're going to talk and begin to introduce small groups that will be built on the foundations of spiritual disciplines. And once we talk and lay those foundations, continue to build on that and go into deeper things. Sunday morning in our time together, we're going to learn and grow together. That's a commitment we all make to grow together. Well, certainly we learn lessons and we learn values in different things, but there's a time when as, as individuals and as a church, we say, you know what, we're going to grow together. We're going to learn together. We're going to acknowledge we don't know everything, and we're going to grow together. There's a commitment. Will you covenant together to allow God to grow us? according to his truth, to move forward together will require a commitment that's personal and corporate to be an encouragement towards this growth, not an obstacle. It requires a commitment to grow together. We also need to make sure we commit to serve together. I want to read a couple passages, and here's my, as I read them over and over this week, I thought, oh, I just hope as God's people we soak in them. Kind of let, let this, these passages just soak over you and kind of, kind of see what the thrust of Scripture is for you and I as God's people. Turn to Romans chapter 12, if you would. Romans chapter 12. Verse 4 through 13. For just as we have many members in one body... And all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly. If it's prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, it's service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, and devoted to prayer and contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality, side by side, focused on Jesus. We serve him at his pleasure. But the reality is when we date, we serve until conditions, until conditions start to maybe make it a little uncomfortable. Because when you date, there's this idea that, well, if things don't go just the way I want, or if I find the other person too opposed to maybe what I want to do, or isn't just exactly like I want you, Step away from it. So I'm calling you not to date the church, but in covenant commitment to commit to these things. And one of the commitments we need to make is to serve our Savior together, side by side, serving him. I'll let 1 Corinthians 12 wash over you some more. Now, lest you think this church he's writing to in Corinth has it all together. 
if you don't know, I want to remind you, this church in Corinth had some serious issues. They were steeped in carnality. There was division to the point they were suing each other. They were talking about each other in unhealthy ways. It was a divided, very unhealthy carnal church. And one of Paul's exhortations to them is to remember something. Let's see what he reminds them. Verse 11 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But one in the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we are all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. And if they were all members, where would the body be? But now, there are many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. You see, because Christ has joined us together, as many individuals, many different personalities, many different gifts, he has joined us together, and we dare not say what those in Corinth were saying, I don't need you. We, can't, we don't write each other off. Why? Because we're joined together, and we need each other. We're one body. I mean, if, the, if, if it was all about individualism, we would have six-foot eyes up here. Wouldn't that be disgusting? Like a six-foot eye. Just think of it. That's it. No ear, no hand, nothing else. Or a six-foot ear. Imagine those Q-tips. But that would, we would look at that and say, that's, that's not right. That's unhealthy. I mean, we, we need every part of the body to function. And that's why this analogy is used. We need every part to serve together as God's people. I was so grateful, especially this past year, that I served together with an elder board. I love these guys. It hasn't been an easy year, but something God did among us is he continued to knit our hearts together. And we served together. And I'm so privileged to serve with these guys. It's been, it, it's been a joy. It's been hard, but it's been a joy to be able to know that Together, God has continued to knit us, and we serve side by side together. Not seven, eight guys going their different directions. But it's the Spirit of God that did that work in us, and what a pleasure it is to serve together. It hasn't always been that way in other churches. And I've coached a lot of pastors over the years, and they've shared some horror stories, unfortunately, of not really being able to serve together. There wasn't that sense of togetherness, and I'm grateful for that. In some ways, as a church, we're going to hit the restart button this next year. This next year, our children's ministry will thrive because we'll serve together. We're going to reestablish strong foundations and renew efforts to build bridges into our community. And to renew and reestablish, in a sense, to hit the restart button, we're going to need some coordinators. 
because Matt Whitaker works with his council to reestablish and renew efforts. He's going to need coordinators. And there's people out here who love Jesus, who love kids, and who are organized. And it might be intimidating to you, but you have an opportunity to step in with a team side by side and serve. And if right now you're like, oh, man, that's, that's me, the Spirit of God's going, and, uh, which is a good thing. Um, Matt Whitaker's going to raise his hand right there after service. You go see him, have a cup of coffee with him, and, and say, I want you to know I'm in. I'm going to serve right alongside you, Matt, and with others. Because we dare not ignore this next generation. And so this year, we're going to renew and reestablish foundations in our children's ministry. We're going to provide spiritual gift training. Mark Linder, I don't know if Mark's here. I can't. There he is. See him. He's going to be doing some teaching on spiritual gifts, how to determine and discover your spiritual gifts. And how do you put them to practice? Because we want to renew the foundations of ministry and you know, as I know, as a Christian, you've been given gifts, and we want to be good stewards of that. Mark Linder's the guy. We'll be starting that in February, and so grab a hold of him today. And so there's great opportunities that you and I have to join together to serve. You see, those who are committed to serve together, they take responsibility. Use their gifts, and they use their time. And you know you're dating the church when you sit back and say, I think I'll let others do it. That's a flag that you might want to get in the game. And to serve together takes a covenant commitment to move forward. I hope that's your commitment. But there's another commitment we need to make to represent Jesus together. John 13, 34 through 35, Jesus says, I want you to love each other. All men are going to know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, Interesting that that would be part of our corporate witness. I mean, could it be a huge part of our witness to a, a, a lost community is when you see somebody at the grocery store, a hurting brother or sister in Christ, where you set aside your shopping and you hear them right there, you pray over them and love them. Could it be that something that simple communicates to the lost there's something there I want. I would submit it does. And when we love each other the way Christ did, a watching world can't ignore that. Believe me, they can't. Our corporate witness is huge. Disunity, as one author says, is a stench in the nostrils of our communities. And we haven't smelled too good this year. But you and I are part of unifying around the gospel. We don't create unity. We maintain the unity that's already been created by the gospel. We're people of the gospel. We unify around the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we focus together, when we represent Jesus together, we'll see God moving in amazing ways, ways I expect. Our staff had to endure. We had staff lunch today, and I, I, I had a, a, a canned a uh, thing that um, I had, like a canned soup, you know, when you can soup. So I don't know how long I'd been sitting in my basement. But I grabbed it, and I'm like, I'm going to have that today. And so I brought it to church, and I opened it up, and I'm like, wow, what's that smell in here? And I uh, heated it up, and I'm, I'm like, boy, that smells, smells warm now. That's disgusting. And I realized I had a bad can here. 
And so I'm like, oh, I had to go dump the soup out. I'm like, oh, yuck. And, but that stench got on my clothes. And I'm sitting at staff lunch, and there, there's Jenny and Daniel. What the heck is that smell? And I'm like, I don't know. You know, and the whole kitchen smells like it. It's just nasty, nasty smell. Yuck. And, uh, and you know what it took? I mean, I tried a little, you know, try sometimes you put a little aftershave, try to cover up, and that wouldn't happen. It smelled like a little, little aftershave on stinky clothes. And so I had to go home because I had something else at night, and I'm like, I got to change this shirt because ain't no one going to want to hang around me. Uh, and so it took taking off the old stinky and putting on new clothes. And I use that illustration because I think when it comes to recommitting as a church to representing Jesus, sometimes we need to take off those behaviors that don't smell so good. And maybe they're things that weren't intentional. Maybe they were reactionary. Maybe they, but, but there were behaviors, there were words, there were things that just didn't smell so good. And, and there needs to be a renewed commitment to say, I'm taking those clothes off, those behaviors, not anymore. I'm putting a new shirt on. I'm putting new clothes on. And it almost sounds biblical because Paul says, hey, put off old behaviors and put on Christ. Get dressed up in Jesus. Get dressed up in the behaviors of Christ and what the word tells us. And when we do that, there's a renewed commitment you and I make to represent Jesus in our community. The reality is to move forward is going to require you and I to commit to acting the way Jesus would have us, even when we don't feel like it, even when it doesn't go our way. We're going to act like Jesus would want us to, and that's how we're going to move forward. And when we do that, we're going to be the aroma of Christ among those who are lost and perishing. We want to reflect Jesus, and it takes a commitment. You see, if you're dating the church, you'll represent your idea and your agenda. And at best, you'll have a limited impact. But we represent the gospel. And when we represent the gospel, we put on behaviors that reflect that. We live in a manner worthy of the gospel. That's what Paul said. Let's be a committed body to represent Jesus Christ well in our communities. But you know what? And we've, we can testify to this. When a committed body is committed towards that, towards the gospel, we become a threat to the demonic realm. Satan knows that the church is the answer to a lost world. And his only recourse, because hell can't stop the power of the church, not even the gates of hell, Jesus said, Satan knows the only recourse, the only thing he can do is to create some division. We're not going to let him. No longer. We're going to represent Jesus Christ well. We're going to be people of the gospel. And that's why we need to move together. For alone, Jesus Christ is the answer. And together, we lift that message up clearly. And it takes work it really does. It takes work to act in ways that are contrary to our culture, that are contrary to other voices. And too often, I think the church lets the culture and the tone of the culture infiltrate our thinking. Think for a moment the tone of the culture we live in right now. You would have to admit, we'd have to agree, in our culture, there's one of mistrust. Nobody trusts each other anymore. Look at the political realm. My goodness, turn on the news for, I don't know, three seconds, and you'll see mistrust. 
What else do you see? Slander, left and right. People are writing books, slandering this guy. He's slandering this. I mean, the tone of our culture is mistrust, slander, and guess what they use to do it? The media is a vehicle in which they do it. We dare not model our culture. We're going to be different. We're going to represent Jesus well. And sometimes doing that means hitting the delete button. Sometimes it means just saying, you know what? There's everything in me that wants to respond here, but I'm not going to do that because I want to represent Jesus well. It takes a commitment, people. And you know it does. (laughs) It's not easy to do. I mean, think about scriptures. Jesus talks about two relationships, marriage and the church. And in both cases, he said they're to represent Christ. Your marriage, my marriage, the way we interact is supposed to represent Christ. The church, the way we interact with each other, is supposed to represent Christ. Each is said to be a picture of Christ's love, his sacrificial love. And when we do that, we'll have an impact. We, We represent Jesus together. And in that, our communities can see the reality of Christ at work. We represent him. We together will focus on the gospel, the truths of God. Not our opinions, not our ideas, not our agendas or assumptions. We're going to move forward together as we represent Jesus together, and it's going to take a commitment. This year, we're going to have renewed efforts to build bridges into our community, to seek for ways to corporately represent Jesus well once again. You're invited to join together to the usness of the gospel, to join together that you and I would represent Jesus well, to put on the new clothes that Jesus has for us. We also need to protect the unity together. Again, we don't create unity. The gospel's done that. But we're called to maintain it and protect it. Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. Again, the theme of this book is unity, and Paul's hammering the point to this church. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Well, how do, you, how do I do that, Paul? I mean, Paul's calling this church, us, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. How do we do that? Paul says, good, good question. Read verse 2. With all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 4, there's one body, one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Verse 3 is amazing. And another, uh, and actually it seems a little awkward sometimes getting, uh, trying to translate exactly from the Greek, but this has this idea of making every effort, not some, every effort to maintain and build the unity of the faith. And this unity is built on truth, as Paul talks about right there. It's God's truth, not our own. It's his standards, not ours. It's his righteousness, and unity is around that. It's created through the gospel. But we often want unity on our terms. I mean, we, we would say, well, I'll unify it if it's, well, just how I want. And when you see a sports team that acts that way, that says, you know what, I'll come together, but if, if I'm not getting the ball more, or if it's not going just how I want, Well, I'll separate myself. And you see it on the field all the time. Teams that don't do so well, it's because there's too many individual agendas. But you and I need to commit to protect the unity because ever since the fall, 
we as human beings have felt entitled to do whatever we want. And I think this sense of entitlement moves into Christianity very easy. And it says stuff like, I'll choose who I accept. I'll choose those who are like me. I'll choose those who I love. I'll decide who I join together with. I'll participate to the degree that I want. Because after all, I'm entitled. Ever since the fall, that's been part of our thinking. And we need to work against? No, that's not scripture. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we submit to his ways, to his plans, to his design, even, in Ephesians 5, to one another. You and I are to together work to protect and maintain the unity of Christ's church. Paul spoke to another church in, church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 1. I'm picking a verse in the middle of a whole chapter here. But Paul's talked about his commitment to the gospel, his preaching the gospel. Philippians is a very uptone epistle. And in it, he says in verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We kind of read something like that in Ephesians. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I may hear of you, that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving, there's our word, together for the faith of the gospel. That there'd be a unified effort striving together for the sake of the gospel. Who's responsible for the unity of the church? You. Each of us. It's, it's, it's not just a certain group's job. Each of us. And so when I call us together corporately, I'm calling each of us individually to do our part, to build unity, to maintain unity. Years ago, there was a football player named Conrad Dobler. Considered the filthiest football player ever. Dirty, dirty, dirty. And what he would do, he's just antagonized people. He's a defensive lineman, so you know sometimes when there's all that tackles, there's a mass of humanity on the ground. They say he'd be poking people's eyes, punching them in the gut, and just antagonize people. And he would start fights. And so the commercial world said, you know what, let's get this guy. I got, we got a great beer commercial for him to be a part of. And so I'm not recommending beer. Trust me, I'm not. But you'll get the gist of it. And so Conrad Dobler in this commercial, is he's trying to get these two groups to, to war at each other by saying, hey, if you drink this beer, it's, it tastes great. Or it's less filling. Tastes great, less filling. And all of a sudden, as he goes commercial, you get these two sides developing and growing and growing, and all of a sudden, they're at each other. And, and in the commercial, Conrad Dobler just walks away. He started it. He started the whole, the whole rift. And then he turns and walks away and leaves them duking it out. Now, I don't know how it was appealing to buy that particular product, um, but apparently it was supposed to be. Um, but Conrad Dobler walked away. You know, we have an enemy who's just like that. He sows seeds of discord, and he, once he sees it start to take to fruition, he walks away. Why? Because he doesn't care about the future. He's working against the future. And so we need to commit to be unified so we don't allow that to happen. Let us commit to only speak well of each other, to speak well ways that build up. Let us commit to refuse to listen to those who don't speak well of each other. I mean, think, don't you do that in your families? I mean, if you were sitting around somewhere and someone started to rip your child, 
I mean, wouldn't we say, whoa, that's my family you're talking, that's my child you're talking about, or that's my brother, that's my sister. If you grew up in a family, as uh, I always thought that was intriguing about families, how brothers and sisters can fight at home, but don't say anything about one of them. Those are fighting words, because all of a sudden they're defending each other. Um, And so the challenge for us is to make sure that we speak well and build each other up. And maybe in some cases, defend each other. It's part of growing together in unity. Philippians 2, 1 through 4, we have this idea, Paul once again talks about maintaining unity and building together. I'm going to read it, if you have it right there. If therefore there's any encouragement in Christ, and I hope there is, I mean he saved us, (laughs) he set us apart for eternity. If there's any consolation of love, there's any comfort of his love. We've all experienced that. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, virtually every Sunday morning in time we open and meet together. If there's any affection and compassion, they're kind of rhetorical questions, actually. Paul's saying, I know there is this, but if there is any, make my joy complete. By being of the same mind, there's our word, maintaining the same love, it implies it takes effort. United in spirit, Intent on one purpose. Sounds great, Paul. How do I do it? Keep reading, he says. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. But with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the personal interests or other, other, for the interests of others. I mean, that's a call to maintain, to work at building their love. It requires work. You know that if you're married. You know that if you have children. It requires work to build that love relationship. And that's why we hear all these biblical phrases throughout Scripture. I want to read these, and I want you to, to just think how beautiful it is when God's people do these things. These aren't my ideas or my phrases. These are all from the Bible. And so maybe they'll come across some of them as convicting, Maybe they'll just come across and help paint a picture of, wow, the culture sees this. Yeah, this is a great picture. So just let these phrases kind of wash over you. Be kindly affectionate to one another. In honor, prefer one another. Be of the same mind one to another. Don't judge one another. Edify one another. Receive one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Serve one another. Bear with one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Submit one to another. Comfort one another. Pray for one another. Love one another. Kind of a few verses there, huh? (laughs) That certainly seem to direct us to maintain and build our relationships within our church. I mean, I love them verses. And how beautiful is the body of Christ when we do that. It can't be ignored when people do that one to another. It's just not the tone of our culture. It stands so contrary to it as it should. And we represent Jesus well again when we do these things. We also build unity. I came across a reading from Max Lucado. There's some humor in it, but there's also some little, I'll call daggers in it. And so he uses kind of an analogy on it, so I'll read this here. He calls it rocking the boat. He says, God has enlisted us in his navy and placed us on his ship. 
The boat has one purpose, to carry us safely to the other shore. It's no cruise ship. It's a battleship. We aren't called to a life of leisure. We're called to a life of service. Each of us has a different task. Some, concerned with those who are drowning, are snatching people from the water. Others are occupied with the enemy, so they, so they man the canons of prayer and worship. Still others devote themselves to the crew, feeding and training the crew members. Though different, we are the same. Each can tell of a personal encounter with the captain, for each has a received a personal call. He found us among the shanties of the seaport, invited us to follow him, and our faith was born at the sight of his fondness, and so we went. We each followed him across the gangplank of his grace into the same boat. There's one captain, and there's one destination. And though the battle's fierce, the boat is safe, for our captain is God. The ship will not sink, for that there's no concern. There is concern, however, regarding the disharmony of the crew. When we first boarded, we assumed the crew was made up others like us. But as we wandered these decks, we've encountered curious converts with curious appearances. Some wear uniforms we've never seen, sporting styles we've never witnesses. witnessed. Why do you look the way you do, we ask them. The variety of dress is not nearly as disturbing as the plethora of opinions. There is a group, for example, who clusters every morning for serious study. They promote rigid discipline and somber expressions. Serving the captain is serious business, they explain. It's no coincidence that they tend to congregate around the stern. <laughs> Get it? Um, there's another regiment deeply devoted to prayer. Not only do they believe in prayer, they believe in prayer by kneeling. For what reason you always know where to for that reason you always know where to locate them, they're at the bow of the ship. And then there are a few who staunchly believe real wine should be used in the Lord's Supper. You'll find them on the port side. Still another group has positioned themselves near the engine. They spend hours examining the nuts and bolts of the boat. They've been known to go below deck and not come up for days. They're occasionally criticized by those who linger on the top deck, feeling the wind in their hair and the sun on their face. It's not what you learn, the top side argue. It's what you feel that matters. And oh, how we tend to cluster. Some think once you're on the boat, you can't get off it. Others say you'd be foolish to go overboard, but the choice is yours. Some believe you volunteer for service. Others believe you were destined for service before the ship was even built. Some predict a storm of great tribulation will strike before we dock. Others say it won't hit until after we're safely ashore. There are those who speak to the captain in a personal language, and there are those who think such languages aren't ext are extinct. Oh, how we tend to cluster. Then there is the issue of the weekly meeting at which the captain is thanked and his words are read. All agree on its importance, but few agree on its nature. Some want it loud, others quiet. Some want ritual, others spontaneity. Some want to celebrate so they can meditate. Others meditate so they can celebrate. Some want a meeting for those who've gone overboard. Others want to reach those overboard, but without going overboard and neglecting those on board. And oh, how we tend to cluster. The consequence is a rocky boat. There can be trouble on deck. Fights have broken out. Sailors even refuse to speak to each other. There have been times when one group refused to acknowledge the presence of others on the ship. Most tragically, some adrift at sea have chosen not to board the boat because of the quarreling they've seen of the sailors. What do we do, we'd like to ask the captain. How can there be harmony on the ship? 
Well, we don't have to go far to find the answer. On the last night of his life, Jesus prayed a prayer that stands as a citadel for all Christians. I pray for these followers, but I'm also praying for all those who will believe in me because of their teaching. That would be us. Father, I pray that they can be one, as you are in me and I am in you. I pray that they can also be one in us. Then the world will believe that you sent me. Locato sums it up by saying, how precious are these words. And Jesus, knowing the end is near, prays one final time for his followers, and striking isn't it. He prayed not for their success, not for their safety, or even their happiness. Prayed for unity. That's what he prayed for. We need to commit to what Jesus prayed for. Unity. And to move forward, there needs to be a commitment to maintain and protect the unity of his church. There's a fifth commitment we need to make, and frankly, honest, the first four aren't going to happen if we don't commit to the fifth one. We need to commit to pray together. None of the above is possible. We're not clever enough. We're not strong enough. We're not wise enough. But together, we need to seek him. And we're going to, be pl- we're going to plan on praying more together, all together. And that's actually what amen is about, isn't it? The word amen actually means we agree together. That's what the word means. We need to amen more together. We need to commit to pray together under the headship of Christ. We need to learn to pray together and renew our efforts to pray together with Christ actively in charge of us, leading us and guiding us. And we need to join together. And we need to do it by prayer. As I was reading through the epistles, these various passages we have, there's something that struck me, and I kind of began to think about even Peter's epistles and Paul's epistles to Timothy, and there's something I think is true of every epistle, every letter in the church, is there's a certain tone. And even when all the hard things are addressed by Peter and Paul, the tone of all the epistles is one of forward motion, of moving forward. Even in Acts, when the church was persecuted with a horrendous persecution, God used it to actually move the gospel forward, out. And so the whole tone of the New Testament is one of God's people moving forward, not getting pulled back, not shrinking back, not looking back, but moving forward. We need to reflect on that a little bit more. I was so encouraged at the congregational meeting last week when there were several who shared, and I some cases quote them, we think it's time to move forward. I would echo that. It is. Because that's what we're called to do. But to do that, it takes a commitment. It takes a commitment to say, I'm not going to date the church, but I'm going to covenant commit to it. We're going to walk together in these things. And so maybe as you look at that, you're like, you know, that one really surfaces. I think I need to renew my commitment for whatever one of those might be. Maybe all of them. But we need to do it individually so corporately we can do these things together. There will be voices throughout our life that will call you backwards. They're there. There always are. One being satanic, demonic voices. But there's also voices that say, you know, I don't know if I'm ready. This has been hard. Or voices that are dating the church. And they're there. And well, we'll, you've had them in your past. You know that. And individually you hear them who will say, you know what? Why don't you come back here? 
But God's voice says, no, you're of those who've been redeemed. You're the power of Christ in you. You have a mission before you. God says, no, I call you forward. It's going to take commitment by all of us to say, no, I'm moving forward. I respect the fact that maybe you're having difficulty, but me, us, we're moving forward together. And that's the call God has for us as a church to move forward together. And we're going to need to say at times to that to others. I'm not going to engage what was happening yesterday. We're moving forward today. And we need to if we're going to be faithful to what God's called us to do, who he's called us to be. So he's praised and his church is built up. Your decision, each of us, is these commitments you'll make. Will you make a covenant commitment before God and one another that today I'm going to be part of moving forward? I'm going to be part of a corporate effort to intentionally pray together, maintain unity together, represent Jesus well together, to love well, to love each other together. Are you going to commit to that? Are we going to commit to that? That we would be all that Christ wants us to be. I pray that you would make that your commitment. Let's pray. And I want to lead you in prayer this morning, specifically if you're here and you're saying, yeah, I'm, I'm committed to this. I'm committed to be a part of what God wants to do here and move forward. I, and I don't know, maybe you're here for the first time and you're like, wow, I, God just brought me here and, and, and you're like, yeah, okay. Maybe you've dated the church for a while and you're like, well, I've kind of come here. It's been kind of nice, but you realize God's saying, no, I want, I want you to commit. I want you to move from that dating posture to one of a covenant commitment that joins together. If that's you, I want to invite you to make this your prayer. These are my words, and, but, but I really want them to be your heart expressions. And so I just want to pray, Lord, we praise you. And we corporately agree you are Lord. You are our King. And we agree we would not have any breath to breathe, not one, without you. We together adore you. But Lord, at the same time in doing that, we recognize we need your forgiveness. At times we've been arrogant. We've made your church about us, about maybe what we want. And Lord, we're, if we're being honest, it's hard to trust each other at times. It's, it's hard to believe in each other at times, but we confess that we haven't maintained the unity of your church like we could and should. But we agree together this morning, you've called us to something far greater to join together around your purposes and your plan, to join together around your truth so our worship would be pleasing to you, so your church would be built up. And Lord, we want to move forward. And to do that, we're asking you to empower these commitments 
And we know it's going to take some hard things. It's going to take some individual decisions, maybe as, as simple as just not engaging in a certain conversation or stepping forward and being stretched to serve in ways that maybe we haven't before or to move off the sidelines and to go to someone who's in a, a ministry position and say, hey, I want to be used of God. Where can I serve? It might take some hard steps, but God help us to take them. And we recognize, Lord, that things don't often change overnight. There's some who are hurting here. Help us to come alongside each other. Help each other move forward in some cases. But help us to move forward. Forgive us, restore us, renew us together. And we choose today, God, to love you, to serve you, to maintain unity together. Empower these commitments so that we'll please you and build up your kingdom and reflect your love and grace to the communities around us. And together, God's people say, amen.